The following episode of the Diabolical Podcast features spoilers for the film Gentleman Broncos. Any resemblance to spoilers from other casts is purely coincidental. Give me the name of one of your central prototypes. Bargo. Who's it? Center. Bell. Who does he shapeshift into equine form ever? No, he's just a man. This is Diabolical. A show where four long-suffering friends dissect films most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Ben. And this week's movie is 2009 offbeat comedy, Gentleman Broncos. So, add Onius, Inus, or Anus to your name to make it magical, and let's get Diabolical. Hello and welcome to the show. As usual, I'm here with three of the world's foremost dreamweavers, otherwise known as the Panel of Peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us your favourite sci-fi novel. Oh shit! Yeah, I thought I could answer that. <laughs> I thought I was going to say. Let's uh, we'll go eternal last. Gaz, <laughs> start with you. I am Gaz, and well, I did have one. I neglected to write it down. My favourite sci-fi <laughs> novel is. Uh, hmm. clearly a favourite <laughs> spot in space. <laughs> what the fuck was it? Ah, oh, goddamn it! I oh, apologise. <laughs> Is it um, Star Wars Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina <laughs> by Kevin J. Anderson? <laughs> Man, is it on this bookshelf? Go and look for your bookshelf now. Go and read it. Go and start reading the titles out to us. I want to. I wanted to. Hang on, let me run downstairs. <laughs> Jesus. Hello, Countertacular here. My favourite science fiction book is Mockingbird by Walter Tevis. He also wrote The Hustler, which the Paul Newman movie is based on. Mockingbird is uh, a very good science fiction book about a future where people's emotional states are controlled by drugs and two people who decide to start coming off them and the effect that has on their lives. Very cool book. Oh, interesting. Also has a bus in it. That if you just think about where you want to go, the bus takes you there because it's got like a brain. It's pretty freaky. She just left it. It also has a bus in it. Just leave it there. Is it? Is it like uh, what's her name? Play school. What's the sign on the lollipop? Exactly like play school. Yeah, sentient bus. Um, I thought so. Yeah, fucking plagiaristic bastard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it came out before play school. Published uh, in 1980. Play school bus. Travels through space and time. Uh, so it was after Brave New World. Yeah. Okay. There were some uh, interesting similarities there. I also like Dick. I really like Dick. <laughs> we know that. I like a lot of Dick. Hello, Adam here. My favourite sci-fi novel or series is the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown, which is a fantastic futuristic revolution sort of class war type thing. And it's very, 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 very good. Yeah, I didn't ask you for a series, but whatever. <laughs> well, you can't just have one book. There's no, just, it's impossible to have one book. Me, I like to I get stuck into a series because one book's not enough. You're missing out on a ton of great standalone fiction. Well, they can stand alone on this. <laughs> That's a fine middle finger. <laughs> right, Gaz, are you prepared? I'm prepared. 
There we go. <laughs> Uh, I'm Gaz, and my favourite science fiction novel is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Mm. It's pretty much the only sci-fi novel I've read, if I'm being honest. I count it as sci-fi because the world has changed. I love it. It's it's dystopian, so it's not sci-fi. I don't think it counts. I love that book, though. I agree. It's amazing, but it's not sci-fi. So get the fuck out of here. Well, fine. Strike it from the record, and I haven't got one, then. Just I haven't got one because sci-fi ah. is not, not my cup of tea. So, so shall I just go back and shall I just go back and change it, Gaz? To please introduce yourselves and tell us a book that you've read. Yeah, say what's your favourite Cormac McCarthy book? Fucking hell! And I'll say um, <laughs> it's actually Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> Later, we'll be competing to see who can come up with the most diabolical scheme and earn laser-tastic peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. But first, let's take a closer look at this week's movie. Released in the autumn of 2009, Gentleman Broncos was director Jared Hess's third directorial outing following Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre and was co-written by Hess and his wife, Jerusha. Opening in just a handful of theatres after having its national release pulled, it was a complete commercial flop, grossing a paltry $118,000 against a budget of $10 million. Bloody hell. Fucking <laughs> Critics widely panned the film, labelling it unsavoury and a misfire. It currently holds a lowly 20% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 80 reviews. However, in recent years, calls for the film to be reappraised have arisen from publications such as The New Yorker, which in 2018 described it as truly a great film with no asterisk whatsoever. Gentleman Broncos centres on homeschooled Utah teenager Benjamin Purvis, played by Michael Angarano, whose science fiction novella is plagiarised by Ronald Chevalier, a prolific but pompous sci-fi writer played by Jermaine Clement. At a camp for aspiring fantasy and science fiction writers, Benjamin decides to enter a contest announced by Chevalier, submitting Yeast Lords, a story he wrote in honour of his late father, in which the hero, Bronco, played by Sam Rockwell, has his gonads stolen by an evil overlord who plans to produce an army of clones from them. After a call from his publisher telling him that his latest manuscript has been rejected, Chevalier, in a moment of desperation, picks up Benjamin's story from a pile of contest entries and decides to pass it off as his own. Benjamin's accusations of plagiarism fall on deaf ears, until his mother, played by Jennifer Coolidge, hands him a box of all his manuscripts, which have been officially registered with the Writers' League of America, and includes a copy of Yeast Lords, proving that he was the true creator all along. To me, Gentleman Broncos is a sincere and at times genius comic masterpiece, which tackles big subjects such as faith, identity and authenticity with endearing likeness. While it may not have enjoyed the commercial or critical success of Napoleon Dynamite, its outstanding cast and distinctive bordering on bizarre storytelling deserve at least a second chance. But does the panel agree? Gaz, if you had mammary cannons, what word would you laser etch onto the side of your car to describe this film? Uh, I would etch the word good with my mammary cannons onto the side of my car. Uh, (laughs) It is genuinely very funny. And I think it's got quite memorable characters, particularly Jermaine Clement as Chevalier. But by the same token, there's something about how 
stylized all the characters are that keeps me personally at arm's length. They never feel, possibly with the exception of Benjamin, they never feel like real people to me, which enhances the humor, but detracts from any attachment that I would personally have to them. He's quite like Wes Anderson, isn't he? Jared Hess. But I think he, yeah. he goes quite a bit further than Wes Anderson does with how, how strange his characters are. I did enjoy it. Uh, the performances are pretty much uniformly excellent. Some go a bit too far. Lonnie goes a bit too far at times for me. So I was just like, there's no fucking way this person would exist, in my opinion, IRL. <laughs> but I did laugh at the same time. So it's a strange film. I know I'm, I'm talking myself in circles. But on the whole, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. And um, I probably would watch it again, in fairness. I'm glad to hear it. Count Attacular. Yeah, very much on the same page as Gaz there. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was very funny and I, I would definitely watch it again. I'm, and I'm also going to recommend it to a lot of people that I know who I know will, will enjoy it. But I was surprised to hear you refer to it as authentic because the takeaway for me was that it was quite inauthentic. Like Gaz, I felt a lot of the characters were kind of caricatures and a lot of the dialogue was quite silly. I couldn't help but compare it to Napoleon Dynamite. I also by the way, didn't enjoy Nacho Libre for much the same reasons. But Napoleon Dynamite, although he is an extreme fellow, as is uh, his brother, everything about it just feels kind of grounded and believable uh, and relatable. But a lot of this felt like it was more played for, you know, what's, what's the funniest thing I can say here? And it didn't always ring true. Yeah. But that said, I really had a good time with it. I'd also, with my memory cannons i'd uh I'd, I'd praise it on my car <laughs> well you just write praise you'd laser etch praise and <laughs> <laughs> i'd put v space gd and then a tick that's what i'd do <laughs> <laughs> just going back to the, the authenticity point you made there i was talking more more as a theme it's talking about you know being uh, authentic and true to yourself right yeah um, no that makes sense actually yeah that is a theme that does shine through and i think there's a lot of heart in the premise, which doesn't completely get swamped by the the silliness and and grandeur of the the dialogue and the performances. So a lot a lot to enjoy. Right, Adam, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think the three of us, other than yourself, Ben, we hadn't heard of this film before. I don't think. No, I I certainly hadn't. Anyway, so I went into it like I said I was going to go into it. I didn't have any. Le cinéma hors d'oeuvre or any film <laughs> foreplay. <laughs> I didn't read the synopsis, guys. You didn't have a, vo- a filmic volvant. No, I didn't. <laughs> Nor a, you know, slice of melon or a rivita, maybe. No, nothing. So, and it's funny that you should say that, you know, it does require reappraisal. Because I watched it the first time, I took everything away from it, and then I broke my my scheme, and then I watched it again, and I was like, I must be missing something because I really didn't like it. <laughs> and I, I knew oh, really? I was gonna, I knew I was gonna be in the minority on this, but it, it, there were some funny moments in it, and there was some probably we're probably gonna share some of the same lines, I think, and there were some moments in it where I laughed, but they were too few, and not often enough for me. The same with Gaza Craig. I, I thought some of these characters, I thought, 
it's not like Napoleon Dynamite. The only normal character was Benji, was it? Yeah. He was the only one you sort of think, okay, he's kind of relatable. The rest of them were just, it seemed to me, just like complete oddballs. I don't know. I still, I'm still processing it all now, really, but I know I didn't like it, that's all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When, when It's left an impression on me, I'll say that for sure. And I really, really enjoyed the process of writing the scheme because it's so batshit off the wall. So <laughs> looking forward to it. I'm sure we've all gone nuts with that, but um, I won't be watching it again. Okay. You may be in the minority here, but in the rest of the world, you're probably part of the majority, given the uh, the reviews it has. Well, I, I thought I'd give it another shot, you know, so. No, that's great. And then when you said about that and people were saying, maybe it's time for reappraisal, maybe I'll, maybe I will. I can't say I won't because I thought Prometheus was a load of shit when I saw it in the cinema. And then years later, I watched that and I thought it was brilliant. So Yeah, it's funny how that happens. Maybe something will change and then one day I'll be like, oh, let's give it another go. And then I'll come back to you and say in 10 years go, you know what? I fucking love it now. So never say never. <laughs> can sometimes be something as simple as a mood, can't it? Yeah, that's it. Well, I thought I'd give it a couple of days between the rewatch and it still didn't click. So yeah. I need to go, obviously need to try for a longer time. So, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, it's interesting you've all said about the characters being so heightened, and that is true to a certain extent, but it's also partially autobiographical. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge's character, the mother, is based on Jared Hess's mother, and right down to him losing his father when he was young as well. So there is a lot of kind of autobiographical moments in there. But mm. yeah, there is a lot heightened as well, obviously, as you say. Did his mother really make the strange popcorn ornaments like cars and so forth that was his grandmother okay <laughs> smashing them to bits to eat them that was it no no one could buy intimate parties everyone was just chiseling the bits of popcorn everywhere yeah. so he'd put a lot a lot of himself into that film yeah okay all right before we move on to highlights and favorite lines we're going to play a little game i'm calling trivanus oh no I'm going to read some trivia from this film with some uh, banana skins thrown in for good measure. If you think it's true, say, take me to your yeast factory. If you think it's fake, say, you took my nads. Okay. <laughs> okay. The title of the film, Gentleman Broncos, was inspired by Jared Hess's mum. Take me to your yeast factory. Uh... Take me to your yeast factory. Take me to your yeast factory. That is indeed true. And she had a weird parenting book called So You Want to Raise a Boy, which was written in the 50s. And there's a <laughs> chapter in there that talks about the age 16 to 17, which the author calls the gentleman bronco phase of life, where teenage boys <laughs> like to take their shirts off and mow the lawn. <laughs> oh, Gee whiz. Not much has changed these days, has it? You've got to get a hold of that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. Initially, Brutus, Chevalier's version of Bronco, was intended to be played by a different actor. You took my nads. You took my gonads. You took, took my, my nads. It was actually true. Ooh. Hess wanted Bronco to be super macho, like a, a kind of super macho cowboy of the yeast lords world and he wanted obviously something completely different for chevalier's version but once sam rockwell saw the script he said he just said i want to do it man i want to do both <laughs> <laughs> next 
Jermaine Clement was considered for the role of Bronco until Sam Rockwell signed. Take me to your yeast factory. Yeah, take me to your yeast factory. You took my nuts. Oh, you got it there, Tony. It was false. Damn. But he did put himself forward for it. When he first read the script, he asked Hess if they had anyone for Bronco yet. And when Hess told him they had Rockwell, Clement said, oh, yeah, he'd be way better than me. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine Jermaine and Brett two-handing that. Brett playing... uh... What's he called? Brutus. Brutus, yeah. Yeah. And sticking with Clement, the accent he did for Chevalier was based on Patrick Stewart's Jean-Luc Picard. Hmm. Uh, You took my nads. You took took my my nads. Surely it's based on Alan Rickman. Surely. No, it was based on Michael York. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, that's quite Logan's yeast run. <laughs> yeah, I think Logan's run was one of the ones uh, he watched to get the accent for it, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to our favourite moments. Adam, would you like to kick us off? Yes, if you had I any. do have some. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's just, there's a few bits. I'll just say my top my top three were the snake shitting on the bloke on, what's his name? Um, <laughs> My yeah. Pie. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. In his completely white suit as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I pissed myself with that. <laughs> and then the other gross bit for no reason was the um, pink sick at the, the stag shooting missiles and stuff. That's yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, just the two most like ludicrous bits, really. I know there's plenty of ludicrous bits in it, but those are my two favourite bits. I did. I've got others here as well, but I won't uh, steal them. Don't want to steal anybody's gonads. That's exactly slash thunder. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thunderous slash thunderous gonads. <laughs> All right, Gaz. My favourite <laughs> sequence is on the bus on the way to the first writing symposium with Chevalier after Benjamin has given Tabitha uh, money for sanitary. Products and she's just bought a load of <laughs> load of crisps she and shit. Snacks, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> she she squirts a lo- an absolute ton of moisturizer on her hands like a ridiculous amount. <laughs> and Benjamin's fucking... <laughs> trying to massage it in, and then Lonnie starts eating Cheetos, just like crunching them right in her ear and going. <laughs> and I was just like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> but it really made me laugh. <laughs> It's like, who is getting what out of this situation? Because <laughs> she seems to be enjoying him making these noises right in her ear. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, apparently the uh, the massage, uh, the moisturiser massage is an, another kind of uh, autobiographical moment. He, he just remembers seeing on a, on a bus to, to one of those kind of like workshops and he was just looking and going, what's going on? <laughs> Some <laughs> massage... Moisturise into into a girl's hand. We've all done it, and we used a bit too much, but not not to that degree. Jesus Christ! Catacular. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got? Well, I've got a number of smaller moments, but uh, I'll I'll pick one for now and see what you come to. My very favourite one is just the way that Brutus blows on the friendship stone. He, he goes. I've got, I've got that on my list as well. It's the way Sam Rockwell delivers the line. It's a friendship stone. (laughs) (laughs) I also love uh, just Chevalier's workshop, the power of the suffix. 
Mm. And he asks the girl for a character from her from her story about trolls, and he just tears her apart. <laughs> no, I don't like it. <laughs> Travinus every time. <laughs> I also really love um, when someone asks him for advice, and his advice to them is that they should sell out as soon as possible. Basically, <laughs> we should all be so lucky as to sell out. <laughs> I love it as well in the uh, the premiere of the film that Lonnie makes of the East Lords. Mike White's character is obviously playing Bronco. Mm. And when he first speaks, he's got an Irish accent of Job Dogan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and he just like looks side-eye at Lonnie. Is that a reference to uh, Darth Vader? Because uh, the green cross-code guy, Prowse. he didn't know that they were going to dub over his voice, did they? Yeah, David yeah. Prowse. Oh, didn't he? Oh, he had no idea Luke, until he got to the... leave your father! Yeah. <laughs> I've altered the plans. Oh. Pray I don't alter them any further. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the robot chicken version of that? No. <laughs> it's no, fucking amazing. <laughs> what I really love, though, is... Uh, the undubbed versions of Chewbacca, Chewbacca. speaking oh, to yeah. Han Solo. I love it. Great. Love <laughs> it. I don't think I've seen them. Seek it out. Seek it out. You'll love it. Another one I really love is when they're shooting the cheap ass movie version of Yeast Lords. I think, is it Lonnie? He slaps Mike White and. To make it sound like a slap, he slaps his own ass while he's doing it, but he does yeah. it way too late. <laughs> That's a wrestling trick. Whenever anybody does a super kick, they slap their own thigh to get the slap sound yeah. of the foot hitting the chin. <laughs> <laughs> what did you three make of the the kind of the distinct worlds in the story? So you have the the kind of story of the Yeast Lords. When there's kind of two distinct worlds there, there's Chevalier's version and there's Benjamin's version. Then you have mm. sort of the real world, and then you have Donnie's version of the yeast lords as well so it's kind of these very distinct worlds what did you make of those my favorite world was benjamin's version of the yeast lords i think it's the sky in the background that's always there and how desolate mm. it looks and yeah. quite a few times there's like a big moon or a spaceship just in the in the very background it's yeah. quite aesthetically pleasing to me that version of uh, of the story yeah I was shocked to hear that it cost ten million. I must be honest. Yeah, mm, I know yeah, it's yeah. obviously it, it's Flat made to out. look like cheap shit, but it does look like cheap shit. You know, well, like when the the robot reindeers or whatever are flying around. <laughs> the battle stags. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the battle stags. Exactly. Yeah, I I thought it'd be like two or three million dollars or something like that. Something daft, you know, just mm. enough to get a few bits and bobs, but ten million. No. Yeah, there you go. It's shocking to me. I wonder how much Sam Rockwell got. It was actually uh, Jared Hess's first attempt at special effects as well. Uh, quite amusing. Should have hired someone else to do them. <laughs> but like I said, Turner, the pink sick looked great, I thought. That's so funny. Yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say it's, maybe that's where most of the budget went because it was... Pink <laughs> yeah, sick. Pink sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have to do that again. Uh, oh, it's a million quid for that sick. <laughs> Speaking of sick, and I think they must have done it before... <laughs> In between us, the pukey kiss that they have. Oh, oh, that's that's fucking man. horrid. Yeah, that's I know. That's, that's... <laughs> when he when he says as well, he's like, just just give me a minute, and you think he's going to go and clean yeah. himself off, but he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, that was horrid. 
pleased to hear Wind of Change by Scorpion in the mix. Yeah, genuinely one of my favourite songs, unironically. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, there were some good things on the soundtrack. Mm. Yeah. Black Sabbath was on there as well, Paranoid, and I'm always pleased to hear that yeah. in any films. So. Yeah, that was great. The opening credits were amazing. All the book covers. Yes. Yeah, Excellent. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually mm. like that bit as well, yeah. Very good. So a lot of those were based on real pulp sci-fi novels. Mm. They definitely had the ring of authenticity to those they looked like something that you'd find yeah. in a in a second-hand bookshop somewhere all dog-eared yeah yeah they're really impressive um, and what do you make of obviously the big the big song in this was in the year 2525 by uh jaeger yeah. and evans yeah awesome i love it i absolutely <laughs> love that song yeah it's a good song i think he's it did he use it like two or three times throughout i can't remember yeah it's yeah. kind of it's like one of the, the kind of cornerstone songs of the film isn't it Mm. Just to go back to Winds of Change, just very quickly, a recommendation for the Peril Pals out there. If you're a fan of the song Winds of Change, there's an excellent podcast called The Winds of Change about the rumour that it was written by the CIA to end the Cold War. Really good podcast. Give that a try. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So she's kind of a, she's had a hot property in Hollywood at the moment, Jennifer Coolidge. What mm. did you make of her performance in this? Oh yeah, great. She's reliable. She's great in everything. I was really pleased to see her. I think that the, probably the first thing we maybe all saw in would have been American Pie. So I was really pleased when yeah. we started getting into you know the Christopher Guest back catalogue to see her popping up in in that kind of stuff. Best in show. She is. Yeah, such a amazing. Talent. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a fan of Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, I'd echo that. I think um, she's always been a great comedic actress but she's really coming into her own branching out into more dramatic fare recently i, I haven't seen it but she's in the white lotus isn't she mike white yeah that's series. what she got the award for recently wasn't it yeah yeah uh, so that's something I, I plan on checking out at some point i don't know if you've ever seen the legally blonde films but she gets quite a lot of heavy hitting stuff to do in that as well i have to confess i have not seen them well they're worth a watch the good guess what you do with your life Maybe I'll go and see the live show. Circumvent the films, go and see the live show. Go straight to the she's top. She's probably not in that. The character, as you say, is a bit out there, but she's also based on, on Jared Hess's mum in real life. Mm. Um, so you needed someone like Jennifer Coolidge to, to give it a grounding because she can play these kind of wacky characters, but you still she makes them believable. Like even in the best of show, she's a complete parody, but you buy her as a character. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, she, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think she and uh, Mike White, they were both believable in in a Jared Hess way. They would have both fit in in like a Napoleon Dynamite type film. Yeah. So they they weren't the most like outre performances for me. I think they were they were both pretty good. Outre. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to favorite lines. Would you like to kick us off, Countacular? Sure. Just have to. Pick which one is my favourite. Okay, <laughs> Chevalier is looking at the art for one of his books on his uh, like projector, yeah, yes. and he says, "Must rupture that moon crust." She's thinking, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, <I heard> that. <laughs> it's like really <laughs> like he's written something profound." <laughs> that sequence is great, and funny enough, my fa- one of my favourite lines from is is that the first one I wrote down is when. He's talking about the pictures, and then there's that woman flying over, and it's raining lasers, and he goes, hard rain's going to fall. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it myself. 
Can I do two? <laughs> Is that allowed? Go for it. I might come back to one. If if no one else takes it, I'll come back to one of my others. Yeah. I've got another one as well, but I'll let you all go first. <laughs> first one is just slightly further on from Craig's, where he's looking at the covers of his books, or the paintings that he's done, sorry, uh, in relation to his books, Chevalier. Mm. And uh, he says, uh, finally, we have a youngling trying to penetrate the secrets of the human mind. <laughs> you won't do it like that, youngling. <laughs> you must use friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like it's the most profound <laughs> logical thing in the world that he's written. And um the other one is again Chevalier when he's taking questions from the audience later on in the film, and someone asks him what his favorite line of dialogue is that he's written. And he I think he says it pretty much instantly. He just goes, This isn't a wart, this is the Chancellor of the Galaxy. Now let us in. <laughs> 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 Such a fucking nothing piece of dialogue. It's yeah. mad that that would be his favourite. <laughs> Adam, you said you had another. Yeah, I've got the other one. Is when it's in the um, in I think it's Benjamin's world of um, yeast lords, and it's the the female character. She says, "If you don't believe me, smell my breath." It's <laughs> a weird thing to say. I just like, and I was laughing again. That, that made me laugh for quite a while afterwards as well. There were some really funny lines like that that were just so off the wall and and that were that were genuinely yeah. like they were very very clever. Well, that's why I love the film. I could I could just go back yeah. and watch those lines again and again. They're great. Yeah. And so she she also that same character. She, she says. When your father died at the hands of Dacius, your mother wept so hard that her milk dried. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, uh, just for balance, I got one from Chevalier's version of Brutus Line, which is the first time we see him, I think he says, This is the most well guarded yeast factory I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, we didn't talk about it before, but I think we should. Is Sam Rockwell as both those characters? Oh, he's great. He's amazing. Yeah. I love Sam Rockwell. He's not in enough stuff. He's uh, he's in Iron Man too. So if we ever go back mm. to doing any Marvel stuff, I would highly recommend that one. It's it's one of the ones that like the fan base looks down on, but it's actually secretly one of the best ones. Ooh, ooh, that's a hot take. Oh yeah, hot take right there. <laughs> Serving it. I just go one more of my favourite lines. It's Ben when Ben's narrating Yeast Lords. He says, "Someone had stolen his yeast, and he, he had gone, gone totally apeshit." <laughs> <laughs> that was my last one as well. Oh, well <laughs> but I just uh, there's one. It's not a line. It's just a, a word. It's a it's a term that Chevalier coins, which is juvescent. <laughs> yeah, it's an honour to be amongst uh, juvescent right minds. <laughs> That's great. I've got some personal questions I'd like to ask you. Mm. Catacula, have you ever been caught plagiarising? No. You must be bloody good at it. I'm always very careful to cover my tracks. <laughs> good answer. Right, Adam, do you most closely identify with Bronco or Brutus? Oh, I'd say Brutus because he's a bit more fruity and I see myself a bit more fruity. Yeah, you are rather fruity. There you go. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a macho uh, guy. Um, wondering where my testicles are gone. I, I still know where they are. 
Um, <laughs> you can feel them swinging by your knees in the bathroom cabinet, aren't they? Yeah, they're getting lower. When and you, lower. When you got when you got married, they went straight in the bathroom cabinet. You have them back one day. I can have them back when I've been good, when I've done my chores. And uh, Gaz, have you ever been shat on by a reptile? Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, pay dirt. Yeah, we had a bearded dragon for a few years, and. I'd give him like a warm bath and cordon off a bit in the living room for him to run around and then sit him on my lap for a bit. And yeah, he did a massive shit on my lap one day. It was (laughs) absolutely disgusting. (laughs) Under pressure to come up with his next masterpiece, the pretentious Chevalier stumbles across a young writer's manuscript and decides to pass it off as his own, albeit with some superficial adjustments. So what did you think of Chevalier's scheming, Adam? Well, he's a bit of a shit, isn't he, for doing that? It's like the oldest trick in the book, really, plagiarising stuff, isn't it? I, I guess he's, he's clutching at straws, basically, isn't he? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's desperate, And, and he? fortunately for him, he's just been judging a contest full of lots of amateur authors or would-be authors, so he's in a good place to take advantage of that. But other than that, his plan is more leaky than a sieve. He has a bit of an Alan Partridge moment, actually, doesn't he, Adam? Uh, which bit is that? Just after his phone call with the... or during his phone call with his agent, he's found out his manuscript's been turned down. He's kind of pitching ideas. Oh, yeah, he does. Shouts, that's right, yeah. He just, he just shouts, moon fetus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a premise. It's a, it's a bit, bit of a monkey yeah. tennis moment. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Cooking in prison. <laughs> Countertacular, what did you make of the plot? Yeah, it's uh, the last desperate act of a, a desperate man, isn't it? It's not very well thought through. He doesn't change it enough, and he doesn't consider that there are a lot of people who are likely to be familiar with the story because of the nature of the kind of the camp that they had and you know that other kids were reading it and and he ben is he called he's not the first he's not the first one to notice that he's been plagiarized so yeah if you if you're going to plagiarize a fan make sure you're the only person who's read their work and change it a lot (laughs) A bit of, a, a bit of advice for plagiarizers there. Thank you, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we are the panel of peril. We're we're meant to be consultants to evil. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. And I would echo pretty much the same thing. He he was never going to get away with it, was he? He he didn't change it enough. There was always a chance that the truth about Benjamin's manuscript would come out. And I would imagine in real life that would completely ruin you. Is it actually a criminal mm-hmm. offence, plagiarism? Um, sure, I think if you, if you went to court, especially in America, you'd be fucked. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it'd be suing, wouldn't it? Yeah, Yeah. so I think he's... Uh... <sighs> I would have stuck with the Sandcastle Diaries if I was him and just beavered away at it and... Uh... Built those sandcastles as high as I possibly could rather than trying to build a mountain of Marmite as he tried to, to do in the end with his version of Benjamin's <laughs> book. Mountain of Marmite, that is, that is, yeah, that, I'd like to see somebody attempt that. Uh, That's my kind of mountain. Turn them away yeah. from that, no problem. 
<laughs> Just using your tongue, though. Oh, yeah. Very dexterous tongue. You're not allowed to have a drink. You're only allowed to have one drink per hour. Ooh. I reckon but... you'd probably die of a lethal <laughs> salt overdose. Yeah. A yeast infection. I think you'd get thrush, but about after about half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Can you get thrush from Marmite? <laughs> it's got yeast in it, isn't it? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. It's yeast yeah. extract, isn't yeah. it? It's not actually exactly. Yeast. Yeah, but if you had enough of it, I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. You get thrush. <laughs> well, can you try that out before the next episode, Gaz? And we'll come I'll, back to you on that. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> Some, go and smother your fucking Marmite. <laughs> well. I have to say, I agree with your uh, your opinions that the, the plot wasn't well thought out. There was no way he was ever going to get away with it. And for that, I give him two florets of broccoli. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we compete to see who can improve the villain's scheme the best to earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. We'll each share an alternative plan and vote for our favourite at the end. Chevalier turns to plagiarism in order to save his floundering career, but his deceit doesn't go unnoticed for long. Gaz, what would you have done differently? Here we go. Here we go. I'm excited for this one. <laughs> well, hopefully I haven't hyped it too much. Oh, you ha- you have. This is, there's many eggs in this pudding. Many eggs. <laughs> Let's hope it's uh, egg custard and not... Um... Uh... Salmonella. Yes. Thoroughly thwarted by the dreaded writer's block, Chevalier has rummaged through his bag of writer's tricks. He supped from the goblet of his peer's work to no avail. He has soared like an eagle, or perhaps swam like a shark, in the thermal currents of free writing. It turned out shit. He's even sunk as low as a stratus cloud by briefly contemplating plagiarising a work named Yeast Lords, written by a wee wisp of a boy. This, then, is his last hope, and Chevalier has lain his hopes at the door of a yogi's hut residing near Yellowstone Park. Yeah, yeah, he's heard all the jokes, okay. So don't even go there, sister. (laughs) Greetings and hello, Doctor. I am Yogi Bear. I've heard all the jokes, so don't even go there, sister. (laughs) Very well, replies Chevalier, his beautiful barnet absorbing the candlelight of the hut in the manner of a black hole absorbing sunlight. (laughs) And you've brought all the materials that I listed? I have. One prayer mat, one sherbet-scented joystick. I pick the scent as I find it very pleasant. And the final item. Yes, we shall use that at the end of our commune with the spirit realm. And once the communion is complete, your writer's mind shall be unblocked. Chevalier sits, waiting for words that do not come from the wise man's mouth. He looks to the side, uncertainly, for clues as to how to proceed. Should we... We shall proceed! announces the yogi suddenly. Chevalier sits cross-legged upon his prayer mat, lights his sherbet-scented joystick, and awaits further instruction. Sitting with your back straight and erect helps to enhance your focus. Be conscious and present. Contemplate that you are a spiritual being and the body and mind are a vehicle. Say to yourself, I am not my body, I am not my mind. Yes, yes, I feel it. Bluff Chevalier. 
He feels nothing bar the hope of feeling something. Breathe deeply through your nose and help bring you to a calm, present state of mind. Speak your mantra softly and just listen. This is the heart of mantra meditation. You should clearly hear each word you vibrate. Chevalier begins to repeat the words mammary cannon continuously as his mantra. Keep delicately bringing your mental focus back to the sound vibration. Do not be disturbed if your thoughts wander, but just come back to the mantra. Keep going with the mantra for as long as you want, but try initially to give yourself at least five minutes. Then, when you are ready to stop, take a few deep breaths, relax, and offer gratitude to the divine for your experience. Five minutes later... Nope, that hasn't done the trick, I'm afraid. Our clearly vexed, blocked author gravely intones. Very well, then we shall proceed to the final phase. Please remove your trousers and undergarments and prepare the final item from the list I gave you beforehand. Chevalier does as he's told. This final phase unblocks your writing spirit and requires you to breathe not through your nose or mouth, but through your penis. I think you might have spoken just then, <laughs> says a freak the beak out chevalier. It sounded as though you said I need to breathe through my penis. Yes, similar to passing a kidney stone by flexing our urinary muscles, we must unblock our spirit by breathing through our penis, clarifies the yogi. Hmm. Yeah. It's unusual, I'm not going to lie, but I'm willing to give it a shot. After all, what do I have to lose? Before you begin... You must place that final item to the tip of your penis, right onto the urethral opening. You want me to push the mouthpiece of this slide whistle to the bell's end of my <laughs> penis? <laughs> the yogi smiles wisely and slowly nods, as though there could be no other answer. Chevalier obliges. Now breathe, Dr. Ronald. Breathe until the air flows through your penis and unblocks you. Breathe. I'm trying. I'm trying. Breathe. I'm trying. Just breathe. Take your time and breathe through your penis. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It'll come. Just relax and breathe. <laughs> My God, it's working, Chevalier exclaims. Breathe, man, breathe. Oh, hallelujah. Chevalier closes his eyes as everything fades to white. He is enlightened and fully unblocked. He soon completes his next novel, which he takes inspiration from his recent experience to complete. A sort of side call to cyborg harpies, it stars a new race of berserker warriors who have torpedo cannons for cocks. A cunning metaphor for his spiritual cleansing. You're determined to get value for money out of that prop, aren't you? <laughs> 
So I got two questions. Question one: mm. Did you just plagiarize this from a yoga instructional article? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that when he's given those instructions for about five minutes. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Question two: Was there an eagle versus shark reference in the start of that? There certainly was. Oh, Flying like that? an eagle or swimming like a shark. Lovely. <laughs> Plausible though, on the whole. Penis is attached to your lungs, right? Do, does he does he write with with his penis? <laughs> Afterwards. Uh not not just now, but with further teachings from Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear. Then, yeah. Prehensile cock to do some writing with. Why not? Or he could tattoo every one of his sperms with a different letter and then spaff on a piece of paper and see what comes out. (laughs) (laughs) That's a twist on the infinite monkeys with infinite typewriters uh, saying. Isn't it just? (laughs) I was hoping there was a bit, and I thought, oh, he's he's, he's setting this up nicely. And then he was coming into the the temple, you know, Yellowstone, and I thought, he's going to get it, isn't he? And then he didn't. Where was the picnic basket? Where uh, was the picnic yeah. basket? It's because mm. it's not Yogi Bear. I don't know if you picked up on this, but... <laughs> don't even go there, sister. <laughs> no, no. It could have been a metaphorical picnic basket. Yeah, but I needed something to allude to a metaphorical picnic basket. So. <laughs> or, like, he could have got a boo-boo on his penis. Yes! Yeah, <laughs> and if you try to do a slide whistle with your penis, you're gonna get a boo boo or two. <laughs> what happens if you suck instead of instead of blowing? Oh, oh Jesus! That's dangerous, isn't it? I guess I guess if he put like a you know like a guard, a penis guard with like a, mm. a net around the end of his cock and blew yeah. right then. Standard penis guard. Yeah. That's like, uh... I was thinking like a sneeze guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If there are no further questions, Countertacular, tell us what would you have done differently? Chevalier's bored eyes took a final glance at some words whose meaning he no longer has the energy or desire to absorb before he let the pages drop idly from his fingers to the bed, before his body deflated among the sea of amateur manuscripts that littered the duvet. His arms made unconscious swimming motions, a last-ditch struggle to avoid drowning in ennui, and possibly in we, as he hadn't bothered going to the toilet in a while. <laughs> the stories were all dog shit, just like all of his own ideas recently. A thousand monkeys at a thousand typewriters could surely do better, he thought. A ridiculous notion, <laughs> of course, but it would probably work. He laughed aloud, almost a scoff. But then, why not? After all, the ridiculous was his forte, the impossible, his dominion. Yes, anything could become real through his words, but in reality, could it be done? Yes, buying a large number of typewriters or word processors could be done cheaply, thanks to the likes of eBay. Getting hold of the monkeys might prove more difficult, but if he could secure breeding pairs, yes... Yes, it could be done. Don't worry about that. It's definitely possible. Excitedly, Chevalier took his iPhone 3G in his hand and started to key in his shopping requirements. M-O-N-K 
The phone completed the rest of the word monkeys. He scrutinised the word sceptically. Was he mad? He decided to check to see whether this had been tried practically before and discovered that a study has indeed been conducted in 2002 when lecturers and students from the University of Plymouth Media Lab Arts course used a £2,000 grant from the Arts Council to study the literary output of real monkeys. They left a computer keyboard in the enclosure of six Celebes crested macaques in Paynton Zoo in Devon for a month with a radio link to broadcast the results on a website. The monkeys produced five pages in total, largely consisting of the letter S. The lead male began striking the keyboard with a stone, and other monkeys defecated on it. Still, he thought, two grand for six monkeys. He turned back to Google and began typing again. And then it hit him. Although he was a science fiction writer, He has been born into an age of modern technological wonders. The key to his salvation lay in his very hand. And so it was that he purchased not 1,000 typewriters, but four iPhones, and not 1,000 monkeys, but four rats, which he taught (laughs) to type by rewarding them with treats, but varied in quality depending on the volume of their output. Thanks to predictive text, they would avoid repeatedly typing the letter S, and the phone would fill in most of the words for them. (laughs) After one week, Chevalier collected their results, ready to edit into something coherent. It was total gibberish. (laughs) He'd spent most of his advance on iPhones and rat food. But the spark of inspiration has returned to him. That night, he frantically penned a full outline for a novel about a scientist who trained four hyper-intelligent rats capable of piloting a vessel into deep space and creating a communications network along the way so they could remain in contact with Earth. The vessel was powered by rat feces, and thanks to their incessant breeding and cannibalism, the resulting colony was able to complete a generational mission that led mankind to the stars. However, in the far reaches of space, ratkind had evolved into a technologically superior and warlike race. This universe would sustain a whole series of books for years to come. He was back! (laughs) Very good, we've had some... Two very distinct takes on the Infinite Monkeys idea there. Both from me. Both. Absolutely <laughs> <budget> <laughs> crazy. Yeah. You know. But it's important to note, again, that the, the Monkeys at Typewriter thing doesn't work. That's just yeah. what inspires him to write the book. Yeah. And yeah. it also inspired you, no doubt. <laughs> uh, what? The Monkeys at Typewriter thing? Yeah. Yeah. Inspired, yeah. And then you went on from that to spun it out. Yeah. Right. Cool. No, I, I, I love it. I mean, it, it did cross my mind when I was coming mm. my plan as well, to be honest. What, a thousand monkeys and a thousand typewriters? <laughs> yeah. Can rats' paws <laughs> operate iPhones? Ooh. Yeah, I think they can. See, it doesn't really matter because that thing fails anyway. The whole point is that he has this idea that's terrible and won't work, but through trying it out, he is inspired then to write a story about a science fiction story about training rats to to pilot a spaceship. Yeah, but I'm thinking if he can't train the rats to do what, what he wanted in the first place, and that idea is thrown out immediately. Rats could definitely operate a touchscreen. That's that's what I wanted to hear. I don't care if that's fact or not. I just wanted to hear it from your mouth. Oh, it is. Yeah, you can look it up, <laughs> and there are yeah examples of rats using a touchscreen in a in a well, lab to yeah. get uh, food pellets and stuff like that. Well, I, oh, I okay. know I know for a fact as well. Roland Rat has an iPhone. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rhett fans. Hey, 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 hey. I'm just playing Flappy Bird. It's a load of shit. <laughs> the thing that works for me is ultimately that Chevalier would be able to say, I was inspired by myself, which seems like the kind of thing that he would say. Mm. <laughs> mm. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own inspiration. <laughs> All right, any further questions for Count Attacula? I'm just having a, a fantastic time listening. Been good. Good. All right, then. If you're ready, Adam, would you like to tell us what you'd have done differently? Regular listeners to this show will probably understand this when I say I regularly get writer's block whilst coming up with my half assed plans for this podcast. I have also struggled in the past with writing assignments for university, so I feel a certain degree of sympathy with Chevalier. Personally, I work best under pressure, and the closer a deadline gets, the more ferociously I work, knowing that the end is in sight and I won't have to do anything until next time. Then the panic and stress can begin again. So, I recommend that Chevalier tells his publisher that he has a fantastic new novel for him to read, his best yet, and that he should prepare himself for a big surprise. Chevalier tells him to expect finished first draft in two weeks' time. Having set a deadline, Chevalier can now probably muck about for at least a week, perhaps doing crossword puzzles, (laughs) jigsaws, reading and other such activities, in order to stimulate his neural pathways and spark a creative thought or two. With just a week to go, the heat is on, and if he hasn't already started, the panic will slowly be creeping in. Trust me, the thought of failure and the end of his publishing contract is a very, very good motivator. Working 16 hours a day for a week, Chevalier completes his manuscript on time. And I think it might go a little like this. Cats without a conscience. On the planet Pertanium, the devastating Thousand Meow War has reached its glittery conclusion. Milk has been spilt with many tears shed, whiskers bent and many claws sacrificed. The minds of Catnipula have been secured. Catus, the pot-bellied feline pharaoh, has triumphed over Tiddles, the defiant, Tonkinese leader of the disgruntled Cat League. As the victors and losers literally and metaphorically lick their wounds and cough up the occasional furball, Deep below ground, the manatees of Tuberculus, led by the fearless tartan sausage of Sporin, have been stirred from their slumber, and they are not happy, not happy, with a vengeance. In their weakened state and utterly divided, a cat of prophecy has sold the lexicon of Nibbles, a powerful artifact that contained ancient knowledge and devoured the knowledge within. Now, Veronica must choose whether her best friend lives or dies to save Katkine from a watery fate. Veronica's heart sank when she learned that in order to save Katkine, she had to make a difficult choice. She had to sacrifice her best friend, Whiskers. According to the prophecy, Whiskers held a unique power that could thwart the manatees, but it could only be activated through a selfless act of sacrifice. Whiskers, Ever the brave, selfless cat accepted his fate with a heavy heart. He solemnly declared, If sacrificing myself is the only way to save Pertanium, then so be it. But I have one request. Veronica looked at him with concern. 
urging him to share his wish. Whiskers took a deep breath and said, I don't want my wife to find happiness after I'm gone. When she eats, <laughs> she never, never closes her mouth. Can you please fire her into the nearest star and adopt my children for me? <laughs> Veronica's eyes welled with tears. Consider it done, Whiskers. I'm sure your wife will understand, <laughs> she replied. Unfortunately, Whiskers' sacrifice wasn't easy, and they basically threw him into a pool of manatees until he was some kind of half-squashed, half-drowned by the grotesquely ample cute forms. As peace returned to Pitanium and the threat of the tuberculous manatees was vanquished, Veronica was hailed as a hero by the Council of Claws. To honour her, she was awarded the coveted title of Guardian of the Fish Market, an esteemed position that came with special privileges and a ceremonial sardine cake. But Veronica's adventures were far from over. One night, as she roamed the streets of Pertanium, she was startled by a ghostly figure that resembled her dear friend Whiskers. To her amazement, Whiskers had returned as a ghost, his work in the mortal realm incomplete, and he had a mischievous plan in mind. Whiskers revealed that he had learned a trick or two in the afterlife, and that he had discovered the ancient art of shoplifting. He urged Veronica to join him in his ghostly escapades, and together, they embarked on a spree of shoplifting from various pet stores. After all, who would suspect the hero Pertanium? And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they were cat burglars. Uh, yeah. oh. <laughs> we're always finishing each other's sentences here, aren't we? Yes. Sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your plan is to leave work to the last minute to create Yes. Stress condition to get it done. Yes. That works for me. It works you, for you me. Just try to blindside you with the story. Don't yeah. ignore that. This, well, this, I did I did the first bit, and then I was like, oh, am I supposed to do like a... Because I thought when you said undo his brightest block is basically write a story for him. That's the way I uh, I, okay. I perceived it. But I wrote the first bit yeah, of no, how I good. do it, how I go about it. And I was like, no, I'll write a brief synopsis. Then I thought, no, I'll, I'll go... I'll read a synopsis, then I'll go into detail on it. And I did. Synopsis. This explanation of your plan is taking almost as long as you plan, and that's a fucking. Yeah. <laughs> that that that's a valid way of working, and I have done it myself. Me too. In the past yes. too, not not every time, but no. There's quite a lot of studies into what happens physiologically when you put that much stress on yourself. Mm-hmm. Kills mm. brain cells. Yep. Your amygdala grows, your frontal lobe shrinks. So you are mm. actually killing your own brain mm. in increments. Yeah. You're shitting yourself. Yeah, but you come up with shit-hot stories, though. <laughs> Does it heal after? <laughs> Does it heal after? Quite possibly. I haven't read yeah. too deeply into it. Mm. But if, if he yeah. did this every time, it stuns to reason that yeah. the quality is going to get get not quite as high as uh, per, Pertania. Possibly the work right. might suffer eventually. So I think he's That's interesting. He's got a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Well, uh, yeah, you've you've reframed it in my mind because I was thinking I've worked like that before and it worked really well. It is. It's it works. It's like like I say, I I've, I've done it with my uni work and I did it. I did it for four years and then I finished my uni last year and then since then, more or less, we've been doing this podcast and it's been working for me quite well so far so i think it's a tried and tested method for me 
but your brain has suffered, uh, evidently. Oh, yeah, but I mean, my brain's always <laughs> suffered, so... <laughs> it's a resilient old thing. Now we know that Gaz has been using you as a case study this whole time. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> like Gaz agreed to do the podcast for, for fodder for his fucking <laughs> thesis. Yeah, Gaz is the one who keeps going, we've got to do it every week. Got to do it every week. Yeah, that's it. Just absolutely... Punishing deadlines. Yeah. That's it. Every... No, got to do it now! Now! Turner's losing his mind and Gaz is reaping all the benefits. That's it, exactly. I got one question for you, Turner, yeah, yeah. which is in the movie version of Cats Without a Conscience, mm-hmm. would Veronica be played by Hervé Villachez? Because that's who she sounded like. <laughs> Uh, no, I I was going for oh, um, the ghost, the ghost, the ghost. I was going for um, you know the French Resistance leader in Hello Hello. I was th- I was thinking about her. Oh <laughs> yeah, very saucy. Listen very carefully. I will say this only once. Yeah, you still sound like Nick Knack to me. <laughs> no, it's like hello, Mister Bart. <laughs> All right. If there are no further questions for Adam, I will bring us home in the manner that is traditional by sharing my plan. The ideas that once burst forth like laser fire from a harpy's mammary cannon have now dried like Bronco's mother's bosom. (laughs) I'm washed up and I know it, unless I can tap into a new, more reliable wellspring of inspiration. I don my Native American adornments, enter my epiphany chamber, and beseech the cosmos for an answer. I've heard of people working with ghostwriters, but my loyal fans would never stand for that. But what if they never find out? What if no one ever finds out? Yes, my very own ghostwriter. It will need to be someone with the talent to live up to my exceptional creative standards. But someone disposable. Someone that won't be missed by anyone. It's a shame more of the homeless aren't classically trained scribes. (laughs) During some particularly guttural chanting, I have a flash of inspiration. I throw a few things in an overnight bag, grab my keys, and jump in the Chromium Queen, my 1989 GMC Vandura. I drive through the night. My destination? Newport Coast, California. Once I arrive, I pop in the local Target and pick up some pungent dog treats and a mini-bat. I stash the bat at my sleeve and head up to Shady Canyon. Then I empty the dog treats into my pockets and walk around until I spot my target. He lives in the area with his dog Elsa, so it shouldn't be long. Once I spot him, I stroll casually toward him. Naturally, Elsa is drawn to the treats and tries to sniff or even paw at me. Being the gentleman he is, my target is apologetic. I tell him there's no need and we strike up a friendly conversation. Do you live in the area? I ask. As he turns to point in the direction of his abode, I cosh him with my concealed mini-bat. I drag him to the Chromium Queen, dump him in the back, cable-tie him, and drive him back to my newly modified basement. I now have Dean Kuntz as my secret ghostwriter. (laughs) A prolific author that no one will ever miss. (laughs) Is that the end? Is that it? That's (laughs) it. it. (laughs) So basically, basically, you plagiarise in misery. <laughs> <laughs> <Poor us. 
Just Dean Koontz write pulpy sci-fi? I thought yeah. he did like murder mysteries. Does he? He does sci-fi as well. Oh, okay. does, does all sorts. He's pound shop Stephen King, isn't he? Yeah, Stephen King light is what I've always yeah. heard of him. Yeah, that's doesn't it. in that spirit doesn't Dean Koontz write like seven books a year? So I think you'd be missed pretty quickly. Nah, no one missed Dean Koontz. But yeah, he is like the world's like <laughs> fourth top selling author. Like, <laughs> r- ridiculous amounts of money a year. It's the, it's the world's fourth top selling author and he won't be missed. <laughs> no one cares about Dean Koontz. Not with Steve King around. When you started talking about a ghostwriter and you said you were going into like a Native American trance, I thought you were going to channel an actual the spirit ghost. of a dead writer, which I thought would <laughs> yeah. have been a really good idea. Yeah, yeah but no that's a bit far fetched. It's much, e- it's much easier to connect <laughs> Dean Koontz. <laughs> Everyone goes, hey, wait, wait, where's Dean Koontz gone? I would just go, <laughs> Dean who? Have you read Stephen King's new one? And they go, oh, yeah, it's good. And they forget immediately. Wouldn't you go, why are you asking me? I don't know anything about Dean Koontz. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I'm thinking of now is that Family Guy cutaway where Brian runs over someone in his truck and he says, oh my God, are you Stephen King? And the guy looks up and he says, no, I'm Dean Koontz. And he backs over him a couple of times just to make sure that he's got him. <laughs> Poor Dean Koontz. I'm sure he's, sure he's very good. Yeah, but you don't know because you've never read his book. Like, no, I haven't. No. Books. <laughs> no. no one else. Told you he won't be missed. <laughs> Okay, some absolutely diabolical schemes there. Now it's time to vote. As a reminder, we had Gaz's mystic penis unblocking, <laughs> Adam's diabolical deadline drama, Count Attacula's infinite rodent inspiration, and my Dean Kuntz kidnap craziness. Remember, each vote is worth exactly one point for the leaderboard. No more, but certainly no less. <laughs> okay, let's start with Countacular. Who did you vote for? And, um, Very good. Although I agree with Gaz, it might be a short-term solution to a long-term <laughs> problem. It is nevertheless <laughs> a solution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, worry about the next one after you've got this one out of the way. To hell with the brain. Yeah. <laughs> Gaz, who did you vote for? I voted for Catacular. Oh, I like the Ooh. teeth. I did a, a pair of fangs look. Oh, that's nice. Very I good. like that, yeah. Very creative. Adam, who have you voted for? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Catacular with some very like big a, use in like there. Like a crazy social media person. I'm just glad that you didn't make the big letters spell out cunt. <laughs> no, I was thinking about it, but I didn't. <laughs> that's I what thought, I thought I, I was really... looking at. I'm thinking, <laughs> is that cunt? <laughs> <laughs> Subtext. Yes, countertacular. And to split the points evenly, I have voted for Adam. Oh, right. and you can see it there. Yes, all that, it's quite clear. All jive talking. Yeah. I, I agree with what Gaz said. It's a short-term solution, but mm. it's the one that's worked for me. So, mm. all right. So, Gaz, what does that do to the diabolical leaderboard? Tell us true. Well, I'm not happy, but here's the scores. <laughs> In the lead... With nine points is Countertacular. Oh, my God. Second place with eight points is Adam. Oh, my God. Third place with five points is Ben. Oh, my God. And last place with two points is me. Tit. 
Um, across the bear. Well, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, you're in good company. I was there for a very long time. Well, all of the last season, pretty much. So, <laughs> down at the bottom of the leaderboard, <laughs> amongst the birds and the bees, <laughs> there's a little guy called Gareth, and he's got disease. Then maybe your disease. <laughs> it, it only takes one good week to jump up though doesn't it yeah exactly you could be yeah. two weeks of uh full-on wins will get you second place full-on wins yep. full sex full sex <laughs> i, I wouldn't have full sex, full with, sex a woman. with a woman <laughs> <laughs> oh she was 60 mind <laughs> <laughs> Attacular, as next week's host, you have the honour of choosing the film we'll be watching. Next week, I have chosen a film that is one of the lesser celebrated works of a a well-liked director based on a a comic. It's a film that I love and and watch frequently. It is Scott Pilgrim versus The World. Ooh. Excellent. Bravo. So that's it for another episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on your podcast platform of choice so you never miss an episode. But most importantly of all, tell your friends about us. No funny shit this week. We're past that now. Just get it done. <laughs> follow us on the usual social medias at Diabolical Pod throughout the week for more claptrap. And join us next time when we'll be dissecting Scott Pilgrim versus the world. As always, remember who you are and what you stand for. I follow the Moskva down to Kharkiv Park, listening to the wind of changes. Should we just skip to the good bit? (laughs) Take me. To the, the glory of the moment On a glory night, night. <laughs> With the children What's the rest of, of, tomorrow? of tomorrow Dream away <laughs> Dream away In the wind of change <laughs> In the wind of change The wind of change <laughs> Now that is the wind of change <laughs> <laughs> Hey, can I do that? Try it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like the clangers. Oh, there's a good blooper straight away. Hey, can I do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this will just be the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very good. Uh.